Do you have opinions that you feel like you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up some conversation? Let your thoughts and your opinions be heard. I want to introduce you to an alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversations. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters, and it's totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship, no agenda. Join snippy.com to get the discussion rolling. You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump lays a smackdown on globalists at the United Nations and makes sure that everybody knows that he does plan to put America's interests first and he doesn't care what those assembled leaders think of it. Also, the allegations against Kavanaugh seem to be falling apart under further scrutiny. Will a third allegation emerge just in time to delay the hearing? We've got that and the latest on Rod Rosenstein and the possible 25th Amendment removal soft coup coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I honor the right of every nation in this room to pursue its own customs, beliefs, and traditions. The United States will not tell you how to live or work or worship. We only ask that you honor our sovereignty in return. That's right, folks. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump at the U.N. is just saying, look, we... We believe in our own sovereignty. We believe that this nation, we, the American people, believe that this nation is first and foremost for Americans. uh, And it is our primary concern. Our own polity, our own political family matters more than any consortium of leaders and bureaucrats from around the world. Sorry, United Nations. By the way, the U.N. should be in like some island in the Pacific somewhere. You know, let them all just ascend there instead of blocking traffic in new york city my hometown we just don't need it you know right brandon it blocks the traffic it's not cool we don't we don't need that uh but you know it was interesting to see the way that some of the the assembled presidents and prime ministers and despots and all the rest of the uh, the the assorted big players on the world stage responded i mean i mean here here's a clip that got a lot of attention today when the remember the u.n U.N. General Assemblies happened this week. So, you know, all the different member nations show up and lots of meetings. Great chance for journalists to speak to you know, the the prime minister of, you know, Durka Durkistan. And here is what Trump said at one point. And they left. But I have a feeling that you, my friends, and the rest of the American people who actually care about this country, not laughing. Play 30. Less than two years 
My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. America's economy is booming like never before. Since my election, we have added $10 trillion in wealth. The stock market is at an all-time high in history, and jobless claims are at a 50-year low. President Trump, in, in his sweet spot there, he, he says something that is, is right in line with his thinking, which is that his, his administration has accomplished a lot. I would note that a lot of what he has accomplished is undoing the bad decision-making of the previous administration on Iran, on regulations, on the economy, on taxes. That's progress, folks. Undoing Obamaism is progress. And liberals and the left hate him for it. But it is definitely a good thing, something to be celebrated. Now, you'll note that the rest of the world, maybe, a lot of these foreign countries, who, by the way, look at the United States with no shortage of envy and feel quite a bit, you know, depending on the country, feel quite a bit, you know, why are they so successful, prosperous, free and happy? And, you know, our country, our country stinks. That's right. There are crappy countries in the world. The president will actually say it sometimes. It's true. That doesn't mean the people from that country are crappy, but there are crappy governments. Cra- what is North Korea not a crappy country? Is, is that the game we play now? No. There's a whole, you know, you, you start at the very top. There's, you know, America and Western European countries and Japan and Australia and, you know, countries where things are great. And then you work your way all the way down. You end up in the crappy countries. And they get to show up at the UN, too. And, you know, they have their reasons and rationalizations for why they're not doing as well as other countries. But when the president's referring to accomplishing a lot, he doesn't mean the Paris Climate Treaty, which was nonsense. He doesn't mean the kind of things that are going to get him a standing ovation at the U.N. He doesn't mean getting a Nobel Peace Prize just for being Trump. Oh, yeah. Remember that with Obama? Thank you for being Obama. It's amazing. Here's your Nobel Peace Prize. Even Obama was embarrassed, I think, by that a little bit. Not totally, but a little bit because it was embarrassing. He should have been embarrassed. It's a joke. Uh, But uh, the president speaking about all that's been accomplished for the American people in this country where he is actually president. You you always got the sense that Obama aspired to be president of the world. Trump just wants to be president of America for eight years, do his best, and then go back to doing whatever the heck he wants, playing a lot of golf, doing whatever he feels like. That's that's Trump's goal. And, And remaking American politics in the process and reshaping the political landscape in ways that has taken a wrecking ball to the establishment in many ways, not as much as I would like, but in many ways, um, and has finally put us on an even footing when it comes to the fights with the propagandistic left-wing media. And Trump had some other good stuff to say as well. Play 21. We withdrew from the Human Rights Council, and we will not return until real reform is enacted. For similar reasons, the United States will provide no support and recognition to the International Criminal Court. As far as America is concerned, the ICC has no jurisdiction, no legitimacy, and no authority. 
The ICC claims near-universal jurisdiction over the citizens of every country, violating all principles of justice, fairness, and due process. We will never surrender America's sovereignty to an unelected, unaccountable global bureaucracy. America is governed by Americans. We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. America is governed by Americans. We embrace patriotism. Those are things that you would assume any president saying them, all Americans would unite behind. But of course, for Trump to say that at the United Nations, the left and the so-called intelligentsia and the international uh, international community bureaucrats, they feel like that's a slap in the face. There is this mentality, this ideology of a one-world government. People call it cosmopolitanism sometimes. And it has become commonplace among progressives, especially the international relations scholar set, right? The people that are, work at the State Department or work in international media outlets, places like CNN and and NBC that have a more global footprint. And, you know, they really think of themselves more as citizens of the world. We're citizens of the world. No. No, that's not true. We're not citizens of the world. We are citizens of this country. I care about what's going on in this country. I mean, as a human being, obviously, you care about progress and suffering and all those things the rest of the world. But you can only worry about the politics going on here, first and foremost. Everything else is a distant, distant second. This is almost revolutionary thinking to come from a president, it feels like, right now. But that's really just a commentary on what was going on with the previous presidency. It should in no way feel revolutionary to us, but it does. Why is that? Oh, that's right, because we've been through eight years of Obama, who went to the United Nations and said things like, the future will not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam, One of the most bizarre and unsettling things a commander-in-chief of this country has ever said. First of all, he's not a theologian. He shouldn't be picking sides about any religion or any religious dispute. It was was just outrageous. But they all clapped. They all clapped. Because Obama, you know, they have to clap for him. Uh, I think the president's done a very good job so far at the United Nations by being who he is and speaking his mind. And maybe, and this is my hope for other countries, you see, I want good things to happen for all people. As a conservative, the the basic entity that we are concerned with are individual human beings, their rights, their dignity. I want all human beings to live in freedom and, and, and prosperity and have, uh, you know, rule of law. And I want everybody to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I can't ensure it for everybody, though. I can only work to ensure it in this country. But what we can do as Americans is promote through our own country such a an obviously beneficial and and positive model for the rest of the world to follow on their own accord because that's the only way it will really work that we have an effect and we already are having this effect all the time I mean I wanted to write a book and I actually talked to a publisher about it a year or two ago and uh, they they I'll be totally frank with you they bailed on the idea which was amazing to me because I it would have been a great book, but then I got caught up in other things. But it was really just on how awesome is America, how awesome America is for the rest of the world. 
And after all the bowing to foreign leaders and the criticizing of America and the confronting the, you know, the bad parts of our history that we had for eight years to have a president who's like, you know, the world really benefits from us in so many ways. That sure, we want to hear their opinion. Sure, we have allies and great countries that are really like like family members to us when it comes to uh, the nations of the world. Right. I mean, there are countries that feel like family. But America is our first is our first and greatest concern. And a president who's willing to come forward and say that not only is America the priority for the people living here, but also the rest of the world wouldn't be it wouldn't be too much to ask for a hey, you guys are pretty great once in a while instead of complaining about our foreign policy and complaining about, you know, our our other cultural appropriation or. Uh, cultural imperialism. And I think American and cultural uh, cultural imperialism, for the most part, is a good thing. The more of our stuff that other countries can can take, the better, uh, especially in terms of the way we approach rule of law, and um, which is why this de- debate over Kavanaugh, which, by the way, we are going to dive deep into that today, the latest on it. I mean, the, the whole thing's a con. It's a smear. These people are lying or they're delusional. And I've been saying this all along, and it's, it's more clear than ever, but I'll, I'll get into those details. Don't think we're not going to spend time on that today. We certainly will. But I wanted to give a moment to the president today at the United Nations. Um, and, and also note that this is a presidency that does not have a an almost unhealthy focus on foreign policy and foreign conflicts. The president who, you'll notice, is not getting us entangled in, in wars that we don't have to be in, is not uh, constantly meddling in the foreign affairs of other countries in ways that don't affect U.S. interests directly. And we're really having conversations about um, about America first, if you will, as a country. And that's that's a good thing. I don't really need to sit here and get into fierce debates with people about whether we're training the free Syrian army properly in Syria or not, as we did on the Obama administration. The answer was no, we were not. But, you know, there are other things for us to be focused on. And Trump is doing that. And he's, you know, they laugh. They laugh when he says he's doing great things. And the great thing about Trump is he laughs right back. He's like, yeah, you guys remember when Obama made fun of me at that comedy dinner. And then I came back, took his job and uh, basically pulled apart his legacy. Right. I don't think the U.N. members should just be, you know, yucking it up at uh, Trump's expense. Not that he's going to do anything bad to them, but. Uh, I think that, that some of them who, who are laughing, not with him, but at him, they will they will have to look back on this and say, wow, we really underestimated this commander in chief, this leader of the free world. That's what I think is going to happen. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. Let my wife through. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. That was at a restaurant here in D.C., blocks from where I'm currently doing this show, where Ted Cruz was trying to have dinner with his wife, like a normal person. 
trying to have dinner with his wife. And this group, Smash Racism DC, tracks him down, mobs him in the restaurant, gets up in his face, and causes a confrontation. My friends, one day this is going to turn into violence. And I can tell you this, if any of these punks ever showed up around me or some of the people that I know in this business, and we were with a significant other, they started yelling in my face, I would take that as a threat. And if I feel threatened, I would respond. And all of a sudden, this would get out of control very quickly. Uh, What they did to the senator is a disgrace. But these people are disgusting. And what you see is that liberalism now really is very close to true leftists, true progressive believers uh, have something on the on the line of a of a mental health issue. I mean, a, a real disorder, and they view progressive ideology as some kind of outlet for their rage because it's just not normal. Normal, healthy, socialized people do not show up at restaurants and scream at strangers for no reason. Okay, and there's no reason to scream at Ted Cruz. They have nothing. And they said really, we didn't play all of it because there's no need to. But they said really nasty stuff. They commented on his appearance and. It reminds me of the CNN audience. When I used to go on CNN, I mean, a lot of people watching CNN are you know nice, normal people. They don't realize how biased CNN is because they don't pay that much attention. But there's a, a good core of CNN watchers who are just a bunch of savages, a bunch of left wing, you know, if they're dudes, they're beta male, basement dwelling maniacs. And there's a lot of that out there. And the people that did this to Ted Cruz, it just makes me so angry. This does not happen both ways. This is not a two way street. Whether it's Antifa or these uh, these leftist smash racism. I mean, they're chasing a Latino out of a restaurant with his wife to smash racism. That's the group is called smash racism. I mean, they probably should be called, you know, smash IQs because they're all morons. But this is what they do. And you'll notice, do you think they're going to cover this much on on, you know, on CNN, these other networks, not MSNBC? No, no, they're not going to spend any time on this. They should be embarrassed by this, but they're not. They view this as, you know, their vanguard, their frontline ideological troops making a play to get some attention. That's all. I see this as I don't ever want to hear the left whine about, oh, Trump is so mean. He's look what he says to journalists. Remember a couple of months ago when the biggest problem in the country for a couple of days was, oh, Trump is so mean to journalists. He's eroding the First Amendment. Bunch of crybabies. I told you so at the time, and I was right. And you know I was right. Bunch of crybabies. Oh, it's so hard for us. These people are making some of the millions of dollars to do a job that any third-rate male model could do. Oh, you know, here I am outside of the White House. Ugh. Trump is mean to me. It's so sad. Journalism. Also, the thing about journalism is journalism is basically just a conversation now. It's just a, it's just a form of communication. We, we can all, anybody can be a journalist. You got access to the internet, you can publish stuff. If people read it, hey, you're a journalist. Doesn't really matter. I mean, journalism as a concept doesn't hold water the way it used to, and and certainly journalism as nonpartisan, unbiased. I mean, that's a complete joke. But and back to this, I I just it keeps happening. It happens here in DC, and it's one of the reasons why I get to speak to all of you. I'm behind enemy lines here, folks. You are my lifeline to sanity. You, every night, all of you listening to this show, because the crazies that I deal with you know, on the streets here that are chasing after Ted Cruz, they're everywhere in this city. And a lot of them work for different government agencies and bureaucracies, which is pretty scary. All right, everybody, let's play a game. What is the dumbest thing that has been said on CNN all week? 
Up, 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 up. Don't just jump in and start throwing out. I know. I, I could do that, too. There have probably been a lot of very, very stupid things said on CNN recently. Uh, but I have two that I think are the Incredible Hulk and the Thing, if you will. I mean, this is a this is Batman versus Superman. This is a clash of titanic stupidity on CNN for the the dumbest comments that I've heard recently. Now, there's a lot of others that could certainly. I mean, we could always throw in some gurgling with Gergen, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, impeachment, Nixon, Reagan. And there's a lot of that we could throw in there, but I, I want to get to to a couple that just blew my mind. I'm going to put this one in the number two slot. I'm going to give this the runner-up dumbest thing I've heard on CNN, uh, and it's from Simone Sanders. Was this on the on the Tapper panel? Tapper loves to have lots of really uh, very unimpressive analysts on his panel for a guy who takes himself quite seriously. Uh, but here here's what was said on the panel. I don't even know who this analyst is. Play clip twelve. The Senate Majority Leader calling this a smear campaign is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a small dog whistle to the base of the Republican Party, maybe even Trump's base, talking about the, suggesting he doesn't believe these women. No, no, it's, it's not a, a dog whistle. Um, a dog whistle is something that you're hoping only some people hear. When you call this a smear campaign, CNN political analyst, you are flatly saying this is not to be believed. This this is not credible. The people making the allegations are doing so for political reasons. They are lying. That's not a dog whistle. You know, if I go to the store and I say, hey, I would like to buy some hamburger meat. That's not a dog whistle that I, I would like to actually buy some hot dogs. No, it's a request to buy hamburger meat. I, I just I don't think she understands what a a dog whistle is um, or, or maybe she's so used to talking about dog whistles on TV and having everybody think that that's that's great uh, that she throws in there. But I just want to help her out. It's not a dog whistle when he calls it a smear campaign. It is straight up a whistle, meaning everybody can hear it. I mean, he's saying this is crap. He is blowing the whistle on this. And I am glad. Wow. She served as national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. Man. It was not an not an intelligent comment. I, I don't know who this person is. Um, but then you had, and this wasn't from a political person. This was one of these segments where I saw people commenting on it on social media just in reference to it. And I thought, come on. It can't really be what people are saying it was. It, it can't actually be that, that stupid. There, there's no way that somebody would go on TV and, and do this. It turns out, no, no, it was that bad. You had a legal analyst going on CNN on Brooke Baldwin's show, who I, I, I like Brooke. She's a very nice lady. Uh, I, I know her a little bit socially, though I haven't seen her in a couple of years. And, and I think that she generally tries to do a, a, pretty, a pretty even-handed job on this stuff. But she um, had this person on who is supposed to be a legal expert of some kind, and... Here is what was said. Play clip 29, please. 
And, I, and it's, it's disturbing to me because during the break, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm looking at people actually saying and applauding the judge in, in the sentence and then in the same breath wanting to defend Kavanaugh. And, I, and it's, it's disturbing to me because, again, like Ariva said, this is a monumental defining moment this week when you have someone like Cosby going to prison and then in the same breath having Kavanaugh possibly going to the highest court in the land. And so anyone that's defending Kavanaugh could not in the same breath now applaud this um, jury ver or this uh, this verdict that the judge has handed down in the same breath. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, this is somebody who is a former prosecutor, folks, who apparently doesn't understand the very basic idea in our legal system of the presumption of innocence, innocent until proven guilty, or even just, you know, having some due process or basic logic and reasoning. All of that seems to be abandoned here. All of that is pushed pushed aside in favor of scoring some cheap political points for an audience. That, I mean, the CNN audience, I can assure you, is a bunch of rabid Kavanaugh haters. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I stopped doing CNN. I realized at some point, and, and I really mean this, I didn't respect the audience, and I didn't like that. I don't like doing something uh, like that on a regular basis. This is when I was a contributor there. I, I was paid to be a, a, a political commentator at CNN, a national security analyst. But I didn't like it because I knew that when I was talking, I, I, I didn't respect the audience. You know, I come onto this show every night, and, and one of the things that motivates me is I think I have the best. And everyone says, oh, I think I have the best audience. But I really do. I mean, I, I am inspired by the people who listen to this show. Uh, they've supported me for years they've shown tremendous humor and kindness and humility and have taught me so much over the years that i've been doing the buck sexton show and i come to this show every night i got i got to give this audience deserves the best i can give them every single night when i was at cnn quite honestly i kind of wanted to end every segment by flipping them the double bird to the audience hey you sitting at home double bird there you go take that one uh, brandon isn't that what it's called you flip the bird right i'm not yeah, that's what it's called, right? All right. Or or a Bronx is a Bronx salute the one finger no, the one finger salutes the middle finger. The Bronx salute is like when you make a like a noise, right? Do we know? I've ah, never I'm from heard New York. Of that I'm one. I'm from you guys are in New York. What do you got for me? Yeah, I haven't heard of the Bronx salute. I think I think the, heard, the Bronx Oh no, salute. Bronx cheer. The Bronx, Bronx cheer. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking of. But when you Google Bronx salute, actually the a, a picture comes up of a New York Yankee giving the middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, you were on to something there. So I'm not I'm not as crazy as I thought. I was on to something. Uh, but this let's just let's just pull this apart for a second. That Cosby, who has had I mean producer Mike, what's the number? 50, 60 women? I mean, it's you know, it's a it's like a full you know, uh you know, it's a full football roster's worth of people. It's like fifty or sixty people have accused this guy of sexual assault. Uh, of some kind I mean you know dozens and dozens of women and they all have basically the same story he slipped something in my drink or he gave me some drugs and then he took advantage of me it's, I mean, it's it, 60 there's a 60 yeah, a my USA Today God. actually has a complete list of the 60 Cosby that's users. astonishing yeah. uh, Bill Clinton I mean Bill whoops that was Freudian Bill Clinton is a serial rapist that's what I was about to say uh, but no he's just a, a one-off rapist and a sexual abuser and sexual assaulter uh, but but Cosby is a serial sexual predator who has had all this evidence presented against him. 
Uh, a lot of it from, and, and remember, and, and he was an adult, and these were adults, and, and this was, you know, stretching back in some cases, you know, a couple of decades, but the specifics were never in question. He did know these women. He was at these places with them. I mean, there's mountains of evidence against this guy, and he was just afforded the right to a trial by jury, and he was found guilty. To compare that activity that he engaged in and that process that he was given in any way to what Kavanaugh has been put through right now and what's going on with the Kavanaugh situation is a monumental idiocy. Uh, it is aggressively stupid. And there's a lot of aggressively stupid out there right now. I, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I was getting uh, attacked for, because I've been very vocal on uh, social media, uh, on Twitter and specifically in defense of Kavanaugh from the beginning, that I, I've been... And, you know, producer Mike knows because I've been saying up, oh, it's, you know, people are going to come at me, but they and they have. But I have been all in on this is BS there. This is a hit. And I know you know this, but not everybody. Now people have woken up a little bit on the they're more woke, you could say, on the on the conservative side. But I from the beginning, I smelled the rat. I smelled the rat. No way this was legit. And what I keep seeing in, in my my mentions, as they say, I mean, the responses to me and I mean, from. From blue check, oh, I'm so big and serious journalists, uh, a lot of them and people with followings, you know, Soledad O'Brien, people like that. You know, do you remember who she is? Mike, you remember her? She had the worst morning show I think ever put on TV. Absolutely. I do. And, I mean, her her morning show was uh, her morning show was like the, the Jar Jar Binks of morning shows. <laughs> uh, and my old friend, Will Kane, who, by the way, God bless him, is doing great, really well at ESPN building out a radio show there. I'm so happy for all the success, but I used to feel bad. He had to sit on this panel with Soledad and, you know, just kind of deal with her every day. And she was the host. So it wasn't even like he was a co-host and man, that was rough. Anyway, she's terrible. She and others have come after me and they keep uh, referring to Kavanaugh as a rapist. And I, I sit here and I go, do I have to be the one who points out that nobody says he's raped anybody? Nobody. That, that has never even been alleged. Rape is a specific physical act of illegal uh, physical penetration, okay? That is what rape is. Rape is not, you know, I, I uh, you know, pulled my pants down for a second uh, at a fraternity party. You know, that's not rape. It may be indecent exposure. I'm not saying it's okay. It may be criminal, but it's not rape. And you'll, you'll notice that there's such a, uh, such a frenzy a frenzy on this to just try and paint Kavanaugh in some way as a rapist. I mean, to, to try and create the association in people's minds that Kavanaugh is talked about in the same category as Bill Cosby. I mean, to talk about Kavanaugh in the same category as Bill Cosby, to speak about them in the same sentence in the way that this woman on national TV, given airtime on, C on CNN that she did, is really ethically and morally no different from uh, referring to somebody who allegedly, um, you know, uh, uh, allegedly punched somebody in the face to somebody who's a, a you know, mass murderer. You know, so assault, I mean, right, punching somebody would be assault. And I'm talking about the allegation from his college years where he exposed himself, right? But I mean, assault, okay, that's not okay, that's a crime. It's an allegation. But there's a, a lot of difference between an allegation of assault and being a mass murderer. Bill Cosby 
is a serial rapist in the dozens and dozens and dozens. To speak about him in the same sentence as if, if everything that has been alleged about Kavanaugh so far was true, and it is not, these women are lying. I will say it to you in plain English because that's the kind of relationship we have. They are lying or there's another possibility. They believe what they are saying, but they are delusional or their their memories have faded into a near delusion where they think something happened and it did not. You know, I actually I, I want to spend a little more time on that notion uh, in, in just a moment. Let, let me let me hit a, a quick pause here, team. I want to tell you more about this uh, memory and what we know about memory as it affects people's ability to identify accusers and, and how it plays out in the criminal justice system. Because I think there's some very interesting stuff on this, and it's not getting, no surprise, not getting nearly enough attention from the media. And it's very relevant to our conversations about what's really going on here with Kavanaugh. So I've got that coming up. Stay with me. You know, I was just in the break. I, I'm talking to producer Mike here, and I'm not going to say that I'm an honorary member of Dersh's legal advisory squad or something. But for some reason, the Dersh and I are always kind of on the same wavelength. I, I'm, I'm about to start telling you about the Innocence Project and what liberals usually say about memory. And producer Mike is like, Buck, you know, you know that I can get you audio of Dersh talking about this. Alan Dershowitz, for those who don't know, we call him the Dersh. Just like, you know, I try to call Joe Concha, my buddy, my, my Hill colleague, the Conch. I don't think he likes it. I don't know. I don't th- he hasn't really taken to it. And if somebody doesn't like their nickname, I have a rule. Even if they kind of make an offhand remark about, you know, I don't really like, you got to stop. Uh, but here's here's what the Dersh, the Dersh likes it. I've said it to him before. Here's what he thinks about memory when it comes to criminal cases. Play it. It depends on how tough the lawyer is in his cross-examination of the accuser. And he must be or she must be tough. She can't just be allowed to say, well, I thought about it, then I didn't remember it, and then it took me six days to reconstruct my memory. A good cross-examining lawyer has to be gender-free, has to raise the same kinds of tough questions about repressed memory and how to reconstruct memory and exactly what she was told, by whom she was told it, who made suggestions to her. How did her memory improve over time? We know that biologically memories don't improve over time. They recede over time. How did her memory get so much better over six days of briefing with her lawyer? That is a subject of appropriate cross-examination. And any woman or man who is afraid to be tough in cross-examining her or cross-examining him should not have that job. Hey, the Dersh is wrong on some stuff. He's a big lib. He hates the Second Amendment. There's some things where he's way off. But man, if I ever got into a scrap, I'd want the Dersh to be my counsel. I got to tell you, of, of all the of all the TV lawyers, hey producer Mike, let me ask, let me ask, who, who's your first? You can get any TV lawyer to be your guy. You're 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 caught in Alabama for a murder you did not commit when you were robbing a store, and it turns out they checked the tire treads because uh-huh. your your cousin, and you know how the story ends. Um, who's your who's your TV lawyer though? Oh man, real life real life TV lawyer. Yeah, uh, it has to be the Dersh. You go the Dersh? Yeah, I, I, I think to. so too. It's mm-hmm. definitely not Avenatti. You'd end oh. up in like a Turkish prison. You'd get sent some. You get sent to. <laughs> you get sent to Gitmo if Avenatti were your lawyer. You would not want that. But but here's here's what I wanted to get into with you. And and I'm actually I didn't even have as much time as as I, as I wanted on this one. Um. And so you know what? Maybe maybe I'll I'll, I'll extend this a little bit into the uh, 
I'll extend this a little bit in the next the next hour. Let's let's plan on doing that. Uh, but he, here's the the very short version. Memory does get worse over time. All of these different uh, structural defenses that you have in a normal proceeding, the right to uh, cross-examine, the right to confront the accuser, the right to, you know, to outside counsel, uh, the ability to question memory, the ability to question, those are all being swept aside because they're saying it's not a criminal proceeding, but it's about a criminal action. So they want a political consequence for a criminal action that they allege without any ability to defend it through normal criminal defense procedure. That's what the Kavanaugh hearing is supposed to turn into. And on the question of memory specifically, uh, there are some ways in which you can look at this and maybe the women think they're telling the truth, but they're not. That's not unprecedented at all. In fact, it happens with some frequency. I will tell you more about that in just a moment. I start my day the same way every day with a cup of delicious Black Rifle coffee. Black Rifle is incredibly high quality stuff. I mean, Black Rifle is delicious, okay? It is small batch roast to order coffee. It also is a company run by veterans. In fact, the founders of Black Rifle Coffee are friends of mine, and they are veterans of the special operations community. So these guys love patriotism, freedom, America, and really delicious coffee. Why buy coffee from a bunch of commies who don't support your values, don't care about this country the way that you do, and honestly, very unlikely their coffee tastes as good. I've even got, don't tell anybody, some of the progressives I work with in D.C. drinking Black Rifle, not even because they support the message, but because the coffee's so good. Try it for yourself. It'll be your coffee. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your first order. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com dot com slash buck team go check it out we have met her we did not travel in the same social circles she was not a friend not someone i knew you don't remember ever being at parties with her ever i do not and this is an allegation about a party in the summer of 1982 at a house near connecticut avenue and east west highway with five people present i was never at any such party the other people who are alleged to be present have said they do not remember any such party. A woman who was present, another woman who was present, who is Dr. Ford's lifelong friend, has said she doesn't know me and never remembers being at a party with me at any time in her life. I never did any such thing. Never did any such thing. The other people alleged to be there don't recall any such thing. If such a thing had happened, it would have been the talk of campus. The women I knew in college and the men I knew in college says it's inconceivable that I could have done such a thing. And the New York Times has reported that just last week, the person making the accusation was calling other classmates saying she was not sure that I had done this. Again, again, just asking for a fair process where I can be heard and I can defend my integrity. People generally in high school, I think all of us have probably done things we look back on in high school and regret or cringe a bit, but that's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about an allegation of sexual assault. I've never sexually assaulted anyone. I did not have sexual intercourse or anything close to sexual intercourse in high school or for many years thereafter. And the girls uh, from the schools I went to and I uh, were friends. So you're saying that all through all these years that are in question, you were a virgin? That's correct. Never had sexual intercourse with anyone in high school? Correct. And through what years in college, since we're probing into your personal many life years, here? Many years after. I'll leave it at that. Many years after. That was a pretty good rundown of what you got from that exclusive interview that Martha McCallum had last night with uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Notice how people keep referring to him as Brett Kavanaugh in the media and Dr. Ford. That's that's not an accident, folks. Uh, Kavanaugh's credentials, if we're going to go there, I know this is a little point, but but just keep it in mind when you're hearing all this coverage. Kavanaugh's, Kavanaugh's credentials and academic background far exceed hers. But he is always referred to by certain people in the media as Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh. And she's always Dr. Ford. I mean, she's Professor Ford. She teaches like psychology, sociology at some California school. Okay, fine. But, you know, I I notice all these little things in the reportage of this. And and we should we should call it out. You should be aware of it because they're they're trying to get you to make certain distinctions about all this. But bottom line, folks. This is all a con. This is all a hit. In fact, President Trump called it a con. Uh, do we have that, Producer Mike? He finally came out and said it's a straight-up con, which I was very... Oh, we'll get it? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll grab that. Oh, we got it. Yeah, here's here's the president. Hit it. Could you give us some thoughts, sir? I think he's a, just a wonderful human being. I mean, I, I think it's horrible what the Democrats have done. It's a con game they're playing. They're, con, they're really con artists. They're, they're trying to convince... You know, they don't, believe, they don't believe it themselves, okay? They know he's a high-quality person. They don't believe it. It's just resist and obstruct. Resist and obstruct. A hundred percent correct. The president is spot on here, okay? I think the president is doing a phenomenal job of and has shown a tremendous amount of restraint on this issue given everything else that's going on. I think the president has been really um, impressive thus far in how he's reacted under the circumstances to this because he could have just gone off the handle and crazy tweets and everything else. No, no. He understands the stakes here. He knows. He knows that a lot of conservatives, and and I mean traditional, you know, you know evangelical and, and uh, you know, conservative socially Christians, voted for Trump, understanding the stakes here, and the Supreme Court was at the center of that. So he knows. He gets it. And he knows that Kavanaugh's a good man. And most importantly, he knows this is all bull. It is all complete bull. It is just complete bull crap. And we need to understand that and and not allow them to bully us into to doubting ourselves on this. Kavanaugh in this. So that's why I love it. It's a con. It is a con. The whole thing. I am. I was 95 percent certain day one. I'm I'm 99.9 percent certain now. I mean, you know, theoretically, aliens could land and tell me that they had a time machine. And, you know, maybe this. I mean, that's why it's 99.9 and 100, you know, because to borrow from Zero Dark 30, you know, certainty freaks people out. But I'm 99 percent sure this is a con. 
And Trump came out and said it, and God bless him for it. All right, he's completely correct here. Uh, but a few important things from Kavanaugh's uh, Kavanaugh's denial. And by the way, you notice how his denial, it's not a Keith Ellison denial. It's not a Rosenstein denying that he was going to use the 25th Amendment to take this president out of office denial. I mean, it's a, it is a straight up, no way, no how, absolute no. But he put out some markers. He's very, very smart, all right? I mean, Kavanaugh, to become a D.C. Circuit judge, to be his level in the legal profession, and he's not getting it because, you know, his, you know, his mommy or daddy wrote a big check. He's not getting it because he's the right ethnicity for the job, all right? He's getting it because he's wicked smart. He understands that he is setting up very specific allegations, or rather very specific markers, not allegations, uh, that the person making these allegations has to be careful that she doesn't trip on. For example, when he says that he was a virgin all throughout high school, now he is asking for people to believe that this guy with an impeccable record his entire life, not only all of a sudden decided to hold the girl down, rip off her bathing suit, rape her, and... and just, I mean, th- completely throw away his life in the process, right? I mean, yeah, he, he would have been a you know scum that deserved to go to prison had he done that. He did not. But let's also remember, I mean, th- that is a big thing to do just for a guy to, you know, hold the woman down. I mean, he is, his life is over. That he would just do that and be a virgin. Now, I'm not saying that's impossible. I don't want him to, you know, yell at me and say, oh, but, but fuck, you know, this is, I, I've heard of this story where, no, no. It's highly, highly unlikely, though, okay? A, an aggressive, violent, sexual predator who has never had sex before and is a teenage boy who is otherwise well-adjusted and happy and loving family would be quite a stretch. And it also goes to show you how he's willing, he's willing to talk about anything in order to get to the truth here. I mean, he's willing to stand and fight, but he also is going to expose himself, uh, pardon the turn of phrase there, but he's going to be willing to show a side of himself in this process um, that is embarrassing. He will go even further. By the way, I don't mean that it's embarrassing that he's a virgin. It's not at all. It's embarrassing that he has to talk about his teenage sex life on national TV as a soon-to-be, hopefully, Supreme Court judge. Don't even get me started. I, I mean, there's a whole... I. I I would advocate for it. I know it's easy to say that now, but, you know, uh, my, my basic advice would be, you know, wait as long as you can and, you know, wait till college if you can, you know, if anybody was asking me, but that's a whole other discussion. And wait till marriage if you can, but at, at least, at least until you're a fully functioning adult, you know, or close to it in college. Um, so that's an aside. But Kavanaugh then also had to discuss drinking and partying. And, you know, see, this is part of the, of the trial of so-called rape culture on campus or the frat bro uh, rape culture on campus, frat bro for fraternity brother. And he had to speak about this because this this was another thing that came up. Play clip four. Was there ever a time that you drank so much that you couldn't remember what happened the night before? No, uh, that never happened. You never said to anyone, I don't remember anything about last night. No, 
That did not happen. Did you ever have any sense that any kind of the description of the behavior that I just described with these, you know, women being taken into rooms and, and raped or having sex with a number of men, consensual or otherwise, that that was going on at the parties that you were at? I never saw any such thing. Any such thing. I certainly never participated in any such thing, but I never saw or heard of any such thing. And uh, we, we were, I was focused on trying to be number one in my class uh, and being captain of the varsity basketball team and doing my service projects, going to church. The, the vast majority of time I spent in high school was studying or focused on sports and being a good friend to the boys and the girls that I was friends with. We have these great lifelong friendships. Everything about this guy comes across as a good guy. And you know what you really got a sense of from that interview last night? I think the left hates him even more because deep down they know he's a good guy. It isn't just about Roe, though it's primarily about the threat that he poses as a good guy, by the way, to Roe versus Wade. And it's really a threat to Planned Parenthood v. Casey, but that's a whole another time we can get into that. Um, it's much more likely that abortion rights would be truncated than entirely overturned to begin with. Uh, I'm sorry that I use the term abortion rights. Abortion, but they always call it abortion rights. Uh, but, you know, you, you also really get the sense that they hate this guy because he does actually treat women so well. Because he is a constitutional conservative who has advanced women throughout their careers. Because he's a good guy. And he is everything that the beta males at Vox and Think Progress in these places who are all, oh, at HuffPost and CNN, a lot of these beta males. And I got to tell you something. And, you know, I, I, I'm just going to say it, and I don't really care about the fact that this, is, this would really, you know, tick some people off. Um, when I was in college and some guys... You know, we're getting a little uh, a little grabby with a girl or, you know, or, uh, things are out of line. It was, in my experience, the alpha male conservatives who were the ones that actually would step in and say, hey, you know, show some respect or, hey, you know, back off. It was the, uh, the, the uh, you know, the random Republican from the lacrosse team who would say, hey, take your hand off her or whatever. I mean, I'm just this is totally anecdotal. But I mean, I can tell you this. If somebody was actually getting handsy with a, a woman at a fraternity party, you would have much rather had Buck Sexton in the room than Ezra Klein in the room to defend her honor. That much I can promise you. You know, Klein and his ilk, were, or they, would, they would absolutely, they would file a report with the dean. I'd actually step in and do something about it. And I actually have a, I mean, I could tell you stories. I have a background of having to step in and, and occasionally... Uh, do something about it, you know. The, the buck can be surprisingly fierce when challenged, kind of like a honey badger. Uh, but I, I just, I wanted to share that with you for, for a brief moment. I, I got more on these allegations. Uh, why are they reporting on rumors as though they're real? Oh, and the memory, th- I didn't even get into the memory. You know what, we'll do memory when we come back. The truth about memory when it comes to witnesses, I know I lost track of that for a moment. And then we'll, <laughs> isn't that, doesn't that tell you something? I lost track of my memory segment. And then we'll discuss uh, these allegations that are really rumors being reported as as news stories and questions of uh, or issues of fact uh, when they are not. That's coming up. In the face of multiple allegations against Judge Kavanaugh, the FBI should reopen the background check investigation 
and we should conduct a hearing where the appropriate witnesses are called and respect given both to the accuser and the accused. Anything less will be reviewed, will be viewed by the American people, and I believe judged by history as a stain on Republicans in the Senate and a stain on the integrity of the majesty of the Supreme Court. Well, I think Chuck Schumer's a stain, so there's that. Uh, it, but this notion the FBI should reopen the investigation, you know, we, we have heard liberals talk about many times about how eyewitness testimony is unreliable. Usually this is when they are using DNA evidence via the Innocence Project to get people off for various crimes uh, and, and sometimes to get people off, like in the case of the Central Park joggers, where I think it's I think the exoneration is incredibly dubious. But we know that memory fades over time. And one of the recurring themes that you can see from uh, from different cases where someone has been has been wrongfully convicted, which does happen and is terrible. It's one of the worst things in a society that prides itself on justice and law and order. One of the worst things that can happen is the state locking you up, taking away your freedom, ruining your life with no cause. So that's why you know better this notion we have of better a a number of guilty go free than one innocent man goes to prison. I think that's very important for us. Uh, but this 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 idea that memory will improve or that 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 the second accuser here, Ramirez, spent six days talking to her lawyers and that that kind of jogged her memory. Her lawyers weren't there. They don't know anything. So her lawyers are helping her reconstruct the memory or are the lawyers trying to understand what her risk of defamation is, meaning could she be legally liable or could she get caught perjuring herself based on these memories that she's saying. Also very noteworthy, the New York Times, well, I'll get into the reporting on this in, in a moment after the break, but it is, a, it is a constant in the files of the Innocence Project and these other groups that try to overturn sentences that people get sent away for life, sometimes put on death row based on eyewitness testimony that is wrong. And it's not that the eyewitness was lying, it's that the eyewitness misremembered. In fact, there are cases, there was a case that was written about recently where a young girl was grabbed by two guys. So, you know, here we'll talk about a very horrific, very real sexual assault. Grabbed by two guys. They took her driving. She had been in a party. She was, I think, 16 or 17. They were roughly her age. And they sexually assaulted her. And she, she went to the police right away. She said that one of the two guys was the wrong guy. She identified somebody who was at the party with 100 other people while she was out driving with the two other guys, but she was traumatized, and so that can happen right away. You're going to tell me that 30 years later, uh, this woman who says she's not sure, I'm talking now about the exposure one, never mind, I think it's also possible for Blasey Ford, but the one who says she's not even sure if it was Kavanaugh, and we're supposed to take this as some kind of a real allegation we're supposed to take this as something that is merits uh fbi investigation no when it comes to innocence on the left they will challenge eyewitness testimony in so many ways and and in many cases rightfully so but now they'll pretend that eyewitness testimony that's not even eyewitness testimony is sacrosanct right you cannot challenge this is all there needs to be they have the women in question here, the two women accusers, with very shaky stories, and they're referring to additional people as witnesses who heard a rumor that maybe kind of sounded like this. 
that's not witnessing anything. That's a rumor. And rumors are, as we all know, from being normal human beings, often false and based on nothing. But this is all part of the strategy. It is all part of the con. It is a, it is a smear tactic, as we know. Uh, more on this and, and the way that they've constructed these allegations uh, in just a moment. Ashley, how's this been uh, for the girls, for your family? What, what have you guys, give us whatever window you feel comfortable saying about what this has been like for you as a family. This, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to have these conversations with your children, which we've had to have um, some broader terms for our youngest, but they know Brett and they know the truth. And we told them at the very beginning of this process, this will be not fun sometimes. You're gonna hear things that people feel strongly and you need to know that. And just remember, you know your dad. She's receiving death threats. That is the wife of Judge Kavanaugh, and she is receiving death threats, as are her children. We often hear about the accusers' death threats, meaning the death threats against the accusers. We do not hear nearly as much about the death threats against Kavanaugh's family, including his his young kids. It goes without saying, anyone who would make a death threat to a, to to anybody that they do not know and do not have, you know, yeah, would I, would I make a death threat to somebody if they were, you know, an imminent harm or imminent threat to someone in my family? Sure, but that's what a normal person would do. Anyone who makes a death threat against a public figure over politics is a psychopath. Anybody who does it. It's, I'm amazed at how much now, because of the internet age we live in, people do this all the time, and it's disgusting. But then again, there are blue check journalists running around calling Kavanaugh a rapist, which he's not even accused of doing. Why don't they just say Kavanaugh is also a spy for the Russians? I mean, they're just making stuff up. But if we're going to look at, you know, the uh, the collateral damage here of the left's maniacal anti-Kavanaugh strategy, we should at least be willing to talk about what it's doing to his family as well. And I, I've been so pleased to see, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of conservatives, including some who are not typically big defenders of the Trump administration, but they've just been they've just been warriors on this issue. I mean, you know, the the Shields High Club on Kavanaugh, you know, Matt Walsh, uh, Ann Coulter, obviously, uh, Ben Shapiro, uh, you know, David Harsanyi at the Federalist, Molly Hemingway at the Federalist has been lighting it up. Sean Davis uh, also. I mean, the whole bunch of folks at the Federalist. I mean, just. You know, the people have been really, uh, my buddy Betty Johns, Benny Johnson over at the Daily Caller, they've been spitting fire on this. And I'm so, because you're, you're putting, putting yourself out there, my friends, the, the opposition, as we know from what's been going on recently, will play so dirty. And they're looking to take out anybody who stands in their way. Uh, but there, are, there is real harm that is being done by the people that are pushing these, uh, these lies. And they're they're ruining people's peace of mind. They're ruining their lives. And the only way to prevent that is if uh, Kavanaugh prevails here. Meaning that the that the only way that we're not going to have lives ruined is if Kavanaugh uh, receives justice. And I was I was very pleased to see him say that you know he's he's absolutely not going anywhere. Play six. I'm not going to let false accusations drive us out of this process and 
you know, we're looking for a fair process where I can be heard and defend the my integrity, my lifelong record, my lifelong record of promoting dignity and equality for women, starting with the, the women who knew me when I was 14 years old. I'm not going anywhere. That's what I like to hear. He's been put through hell, but he's got his shield and it's up high. On this, uh, by the way, this story that was the second one to break, which I, I can never think of Ronan Farrow's reporting the same way because now he's 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 a leftist. I mean, he's also willing to be. That doesn't mean that he doesn't report true things, folks. I'm not saying all of his other reports weren't great. And, you know, there are look, there are plenty of very left wing reporters. I had one on uh, on Rising recently who did interesting work on on private prisons. And I agree with him. I mean, and, and he did really good work on it. I mean, just because. Your ideology is one thing or another doesn't mean that you're never telling the truth and never right. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I got to say that some of the stuff that we've seen here from the from the New York Times, the Washington Post, even for them, it's disgusting. I mean, even for my expectations of, of how they would approach this, uh, the, you know, the New York Times for example, gave this kind of auxiliary report, this addendum to the Ronan Farrow reporting. And Farrow has been very defensive about it. But at the end of the day, he was not able to corroborate key details that you would need to. And he rushed out the report because he knows that the timing timing is everything. So he turned himself into an oppo researcher. That's what he did. I mean, people can argue about it, but they're wrong. That's what he did. On the New York Times, though, and and on Ramirez, I thought this was really interesting. Um, I thought this was something that, you know, how, how do they get around this one? Uh, the witness that's supposed to be the corroboration here is not really a witness. Play play thirteen, please. Jane, the corroborating witness, which you says has all the details, including Kavanaugh's name. Where did that witness come from, and where did that witness get the uh, information about this from? If she, if that person doesn't know Ramirez. Uh, he remembers it from from he was in the same dorm, same same little building on Yale's old campus, and he remembers it clearly. I asked him, you know, of course we're going to be it? very careful. No, as I've said, he heard it from someone who was there. Why did that's she come called? Hey, wait, hold on, hold on, pause it for pause it for a second. That's called a rumor. He heard it from someone who was there. That is called a rumor. Oh, was it one of the incredibly drunk people who was at this little gathering? That's not reporting, folks. That's rumor mongering. It's just not. So not only, I mean, this is key. Not only are they willing to say that the that the uh, preponderance of the evidence has to be in Kavanaugh's favor, uh, not only are they willing to say that the uh, th- that it's on him to prove his innocence, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to be, they're also willing to change basic journalistic standards. I mean, this is, eh, folks, everything is out the window. Everything gets pushed aside because that's how important this is to the left. There are no rules right now. But you could say, well, Buck, why, you know, they could storm, you know, they, they could like mobs the Senate and, and they could do why aren't they engaging just in outright violence? Although with Ted Cruz came coming pretty close. Uh, and I would say, well, that's because it would be politically counter their interest to do that. 
right? They still have to maintain some facade of agreeing with the institutions in the process here. They're not willing to go Bastille Day quite yet here. You know, they're not willing to storm government buildings or anything because that would work against them. They don't want to tear the government down. They want to control the government. And they want to use propaganda, lies, and smear tactics to do so. They're not going to assault the government. And obviously, although I'm concerned, and I have been truly concerned about uh, Judge Kavanaugh's safety in this whole process, I think that they recognize that anybody on the left who was such a zealot that they would even consider something so horrific as to uh, to, uh, attempt violence against a Supreme Court nominee would destroy any good faith that people in the center and on the right could ever have toward the left when it comes to the Supreme Court for for centuries. I mean, it would be gone. So that's the only thing that I, I believe. So the only outer limits of what the progressives are willing to do here, it's not, there's no level of dishonor they won't stoop to. There's no level of lies they won't stoop to. They just won't necessarily engage in in violence or in, in acts of, of destruction, you know, physical destruction, because it would hurt their interests. Uh, but they'll, they'll light reporting standards on fire like it's a pyre. I didn't really mean for that to rhyme, but it did. But, you know, they'll, just, they'll make a bonfire of journalistic standards. There we go. That's way better. Way better. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that they're willing to engage in here because it's so important to them. They think so much rides on this. Uh, I'm sorry. And then we had Roman, Ronan Farrow as well, right? Can continue that clip. We had more. Why did she come forward? She came forward because Senate Democrats began looking at this claim. She came forward because Senate Democrats were looking at this claim. So did Senate Democrats contact her? Senate Democrats' oppo research jogged her memory all of a sudden? Nobody believes this is credible. Nobody thinks that. And when I say nobody, I, I, I mean that anyone with a rational functioning mind on this issue who would approach it without all the heated politics of, oh my gosh, he's going to overturn Roe v. Wade, would say this is, if this isn't a lightweight allegation in terms of the evidence, what is? Someone did something to me. Can you tell us where, when, how, who, any, you know, this person did this thing. I can't tell you when exactly it happened. I didn't tell anyone at the time. There's no evidence, and I kept it quiet for a very, very long time. Now, I understand this is where a lot of people would come out and say, oh, but Buck, this is, um, you know, the this is when we'll hear about people that won't talk about their, their, their terrible, uh, you know, their repressed memory and, and how it's, you know, after a serious assault. You know, we have to separate these two things out for a moment. I I have a hard time believing that a college-age woman who was drunk and had a man expose himself for a moment was so traumatized by that mere sight, which is what we are saying, that she wouldn't tell anyone about it, she wouldn't tell campus administrators about it, she wouldn't... I mean, anything in the universe of that kind of conduct and... Everybody that works on a college campus, even the 80s, would have come right to her side and, you know, and there would have been severe punishment, I think, for the individual involved. And, you know, but I don't believe that she was I'm just telling you what I believe. I don't believe she's so traumatized by that. Well, think about what we're talking about here. The sight of the of a of, you know, the male organ. uh, My understanding is he didn't actually touch her. That would be a, a slightly different allegation. My understanding is that he kind of showed her, whoever this individual was, it was not Brett Kavanaugh. I do not believe that. 
Uh, and by the way, people say, Buck, well, how can you say you don't believe? Because I've actually looked at the evidence, and there's a lot of evidence that this is bull. If the evidence changes, then I won't believe it's bull. The other side says there's an accusation with no evidence, and they believe it. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to sit around and say, well, let's wait for all the evidence to come in before we come to a judgment. No, there's lots of evidence. The evidence says these women are, are either lying or they believe something that's not true. Uh, so that's, that's where we are on this. Um, oh, and Ronan Farrow's thing, I just want to note, you know, the, the, the timing of this. I'm going to tell you this right now. I almost tweeted this out today, and then I didn't because I figured maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Because I think Avenatti has... There's some stuff being said about Avenatti's third claim, right? He's representing somebody who's making a third claim. That makes me think that we're not... That that might not be it, but... I would not be surprised if some very, very vague, because it's so flimsy, allegation emerges Thursday. In the morning... Or maybe Wednesday night, but Wednesday night or Thursday morning, just in time to uh, deep six the hearing, to dist- you know to, to push off this hearing on Thursday. And you know what else I wouldn't be surprised by? If the Democrats and their media lackeys, or do I have it backwards? The media and their Democrat lackeys claim that this is just, well, it's just, you know, the, the good detective work that everyone's doing on this now. They're going to act like this isn't orchestrated, that it's all a coincidence, and we're all just a bunch of huge morons who can't figure out what's really going on here. <sighs> you know, folks, this is this is what we were up against. This is how the other side plays the game. It's something you've got to. It's something you got to remember. Um, they have embraced evil with this. Uh, they may not recognize it as such, but that's what has happened, and so we are fighting back against evil. I'm not aware of any cabinet members that are even talking about that. It is completely and totally absurd. I'll add no discussion with me about the 25th Amendment anywhere either. So you can now report that there are two senior leaders that have, have said that your statement, your question was ludicrous. If it's so ludicrous, why did the deputy attorney general have discussions about it behind the scenes? I, I, find, I find the question ludicrous. I've been involved. I've been at the center of this administration, along with lots of other folks, for... Uh, from virtually day one, I think it was actually day three or four, I've never heard anyone talk about it, whisper about it, joke about it in any way. I've been in a lot of meetings with a lot of senior officials from this government. Just slapping down this nonsense about the 25th Amendment. I mean, I, I got to say, who has been telling you all along that Pompeo's a rock star? Producer Mike, I've been, pro, I've been in the pro-Pompeo camp since before it was cool. Yes, you have. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I mean, this guy is legit. He's the real deal. Nikki Haley also good, but you know, I, know. I know people are saying Buck Nikki Haley twenty twenty four. I hear that. I hear that. Look, if if she if she does well with this administration, if she's if she plays ball with Trump on policy, uh, and doesn't get caught up in you know all the all the media love that she's getting, uh, at least too caught up too soon. Then yeah, I could see that as well. But I, first of all, anytime anybody calls an Acosta question ludicrous, they've got my vote. So you start with that. I love that. That he's just like your question is ludicrous, man. I, you know, and that's the way we need to start referring to these imbeciles. You know, instead of saying, "Oh my gosh," like you really believe that the president is a Manchurian candidate for the Kremlin and for Russia? It's be like, how are you, are you such a fool? You're such a clown. This is when I was talking to the president about this in the Oval Office. That's his attitude. He's like, these people are are out of their minds. They are out of their minds. The ones who think that I had some 
plot with Putin to do Facebook puppets and and do some online? I mean, really? Think of the level of risk and also the level of sophistication of the communication plan just to get that going that it would have required. It's just, it's complete nonsense. By the way, Papadopoulos, you heard it here first, folks. Papadopoulos is coming out saying he wants stuff declassified because... When you when you see what they knew about Papadopoulos, I'm telling you, and producer Mike, we should cut this as a segment to hold for later because this is going to be an I told you so. When you see what the federal government knew about Papadopoulos, I mean, what the FBI and DOJ do through through their surveillance of the Trump campaign, that they even pretended for a moment, you know, uh, many many months later that he was a legitimate national security interest, and oh yeah, Papadopoulos was the reason to get this investigation started. They should be embarrassed and ashamed. What I've been told is that, and this is all very, you know, it's still very sensitive, not yet not yet out there, uh, but they had information on Papadopoulos that was exculpatory in terms of Russia collusion, meaning he had, he had no interest in Russia collusion at all, and they held it. That is a cardinal sin for a federal prosecutor or for any federal agency to withhold exculpatory ed- evidence against a U.S. citizen in any kind of an investigative or criminal proceeding. That's as dirty and gross as it gets. I think that happened. I think Rod Rosenstein knows. And they're desperate to keep this stuff out of the public eye. Uh, But the 25th Amendment, you know, this is how you got to deal with these anti-Trumpers, my friends. You got to just, you got to just start to say, you know what, man, you're you're just nuts. I, I can't even really engage too deep in this conversation because you're not making any sense, you're not living in the real world, and you're just pursuing a political agenda at the expense of your own credibility and 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 any anything that anybody could ever construe as being reasonable. But we have more. Rosenstein. Let's talk about the latest on Rosenstein. That's coming up. Google engages in political censorship. Facebook engages in political censorship. Twitter, ditto. Okay, how many of these platforms have to be outed as places where there's left-wing politics at work before we all realize that we should start building our own. We should start going somewhere else. I've talked to you about it before on the show, and guess what? Now I've partnered up with a company that really is doing it, Snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media platform where there is no censorship. There's no conversational health monitoring. You get to post. You get to engage with people. Post photos, write your own stuff, follow writers you like, whatever it is that you want to do to share your thoughts because you should be heard and you shouldn't have to worry about shadow banning or being pulled off of somebody's list or any of the other stuff that's going on. Snippy.com, totally free to join, free to post, all free stuff. Snippy.com. Check it out, team. Legally, Ron Rod Rosenstein was at the center uh, he, of firing Comey with his letter, and yet Mueller is investigating the firing of Comey, which is indirectly investigating himself. He signed a FISA warrant. That's going to come up uh, under somebody's uh, investigation. He was uh, the, the adjudicator of information that was released by the DOJ to the House Intelligence Committee and other committees. He was involved in Uranium One, and he saw no collusion, yet he's 
basically entrusting Mueller to look for collusion where it wasn't. He was in the Hillary email uh, scandal, and yet he said that there was no violation of confidentiality or classified information, yet he, he helped get an indictment against General Cartwright for that for leaking. So he's got a lot of conflict of interest, and I think that Donald Trump should just say, you know, Rod, you're doing a great job. There's thousands of things you can do at the Justice Department, but you're not going to get yourself into a situation where you have these conflict of interest. If you want to resign and go write a book where Michael Wolff uh, and Omar Rossi <laughs> left off, go ahead. But we'd like you just do something else, but you're not going to be involved in these things anymore. We, and that would be a lot better yeah. than firing him. We're pushing very hard to make sure that he comes in under oath uh, to Congress and, uh, and let the American people judge for themselves. Uh, I, I can tell you that if he does not... Uh, there are a number of us that are standing by really with impeachment documents that said we cannot have this kind of activity continue at DOJ. Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein, a, a case in point of why you cannot allow Democrat hack lawyers who were appointed to positions of power by Obama to stay behind in very prominent positions of authority in the Department of Justice with a Republican president, period, but more than any other president, this one. It simply cannot be allowed to happen again. Um, There has to be a full uh, political house cleaning with these kinds of sensitive positions. You know, if you want to leave behind some some uh, Bernie Sanders supporting Prius drivers in the Department of Commerce. That's your call. But Rosenstein and uh, and some of these others that we've seen in the uh, so-called hashtag resistance uh, are a, a reminder of how important it is to have the right people in the right places for a new administration. Uh, Rosenstein should be fired in terms of his performance, but he should not be fired because we don't want to turn him into a martyr. You know, this is what we've been discussing this week. And that's definitely the case. Annie McCarthy over at National Review has some really... And look, Andy, uh, we, we wanted to have Andy on it. He's been very busy lately, but we always reach out whenever I talk about one of his articles. Uh, you know, I think Andy's as good as it gets in the game of, of analyzing this stuff. Uh, obviously, other people realize that too, not just National Review, but Fox News. I mean, he's doing a great job. And really helping the country. I mean, we have a greater understanding of these things because of a lot of Andy's research and writing. And he just crushes Rosenstein in a piece today. I mean, he absolutely, oh, it's actually from uh, two days ago, absolutely crushes him. Rod Rosenstein's resistance is the piece. Weasel words, weasel moves from an emotionally overwrought deputy attorney general eager to ingratiate himself with Democrats. And he writes, Rod Rosenstein is even a weasel when repudiating his weasel moves. Here is the deputy attorney general's non-denial denial of a New York Times report Friday that he brainstormed about ousting President Trump in May of 2017. The New York Times story is inaccurate and factually incorrect, he says. I will not further comment on a story based on anonymous sources who are obviously biased against the department and are advancing their own personal agenda. But let me be clear about this. Based on my personal dealings with the president, there is no basis to invoke the 25th Amendment. And then Andy goes in to parse this a little bit, and this is really interesting. Andy writes, 
The time story is inaccurate and factually incorrect. Rosenstein won't say exactly what is wrong in the report. He is careful not to say the gist of the report is wrong. He just hopes that if he sounds indignant enough, you will hear it that way. The Times may have gotten a few details wrong, but you can bet the story is essentially true. You can't trust anonymous sources. This from the guy who, in approving a Pfizer warrant application to spy on an American political campaign, relied on anonymous sources, some of them Russian operatives, who were channeling information through a foreign spy from whom the Justice Department continued to take information even after telling a federal court that the spy had been cut out of the investigation for leaking to the media. And my favorite, Rosenstein knows there is no basis to invoke the 25th Amendment against President Trump. Of course, that does not respond to what the Times report actually says, which is that back in May of 2017, he was an emotional wreck because Democrats were being mean to him. Rosenstein urged that there might at that time be a basis to remove the president under the 25th Amendment if he could get enough top officials to agree that Trump was unfit to discharge his duties. Um, and then, I mean, Andy goes on into some length here, uh, but he, he, here, here are the highlights about why Rosenstein is basically somebody who never should have had this job and is, and is, and is a resistance figure. Uh, you know, it comes to grousing about Trump's unfitness, uh, wiretapping the president, invoking the 25th Amendment, appeasing Democratic demands for a special counsel, uh, an investigation supported by the Steele dossier. I mean, you look at all of these things, and what you find is that Rosenstein is at the center of all the ills that have bedeviled the Trump administration regarding Russia collusion, that, that Rosenstein himself is much to blame here for a lot of what has gone on, a lot of what we have seen when it comes to the, uh, the, the Russia collusion fantasy. And yet he cannot be fired because of the way he has bureaucratically maneuvered into this position where if he is fired, people will say that Trump is obstructing the Department of Justice. What a waste for the country. Uh, and what, a, a real, what real damage he has done here. All because of what? What is so terrible about Trump again? They talk about his, his gruffness, his lack of decorum, his vulgarity, his comments. That really bothers them so much that they think that they should weaponize the Department of Justice? That they should create a... I mean, we are, we are entering in America now, my friends, where the only institution of government power that has not been thoroughly politicized is the military. Everything else, FBI, DOJ, Supreme Court. I mean, you know, go down. I'm talking about the non-elected. Obviously, the, the politicians that we elect, they're going to be politicians, right? But I mean the, the institutions that are supposed to be above politics, the institutions that are supposed to be about more than just short-term political gain. When you look at them, uh, when you look at what has happened since Trump became president, one of the legacies of the Obama administration is to so deeply radicalize people that were in the government bureaucracy into this uh, activist, progressivist, mi progressive mindset that they couldn't help themselves but use whatever power they had in government to try and oppose policies and oppose a politician they didn't like. It is such a disgrace and it's so destructive 
And really the great irony of the Trump administration so far is that people who have been complaining about how Trump is undermining institutions, which is a, you'll hear this all the time. This is a talking point that you'll constantly hear. Those same people are doing more to undermine institutions than Trump could have ever dreamed of. Any politically charged investigation that goes before the FBI now is suspect, and it should be. And that's not a legacy of Trump. That's a legacy of Obama and the progressive left. Background investigations can be tricky business. Uh, You need the right answers, obviously, and you need them pretty quickly. And if you have any questions about a difficult case of somebody that you're going to hire, is this person really... Uh, credential the way they say? Do they have any problems with the law that they're not telling us about? Any any lawsuits in their background? You need to be able to get somebody on the phone who will talk to you right away about the issue and resolve it. That's Global Verification Network. My friends, Global Verification is run by a veteran CEO who is a friend of mine, and he is the best in the business. You should go check out for yourself the kinds of cases that Global Verification handles. They do not outsource anything. They don't send anything overseas. They don't send any of your information overseas. This, for any of your background investigations or vetting, is what you want. Go to mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Are millennials saving marriage? Some of you may be chuckling right now, but I've got data to back this up. Don't start don't start your laughter, Gen X and Gen Y and baby boomers listening to this show. Don't you start your chuckling, okay? I've got I got the numbers here. Uh, piece on Bloomberg gets into this in some detail. Millennials have caused the divorce rate to drop by almost 20% between 2008 and 20 16. In a sense, I'm talking about a subject that I have zero expertise in, and many of you know much more about than I do, as I am not yet and never have been married. Uh, but I do have some thoughts on this, especially as I see what's happened among my own, my own peer group. Uh, and you know, there's different rates of uh, marriage across the, across the country by region, uh, or d- different age ranges for marriage. And people marry Later, for example, in New York City, I think for guys, the average is close to 31 or 32 now in New York City. Whereas if you go into, you know, Oklahoma, I think it's closer to, you know, 23 or 24. I'm just guessing about that second number. I don't know for sure. But Bloomberg has crunched the numbers here. And here's what I see going on. Um, You have people who have seen what's going on in their parents' generation, for one, the boomer generation had a tremendous amount of divorce, as we know. And in fact, it, it almost became a uh, it almost became kind of normal for people to get married two, three times. Now, putting aside, I, I, I'm not getting into any of the uh, religious or, or, or ethical considerations. You know, I'm not here to judge and on that stuff. And as I said, I've never married. I don't know. But I do know this. Uh, marriage, based on everything that I've been told, including from talking to divorce lawyers about this, is very expensive when it ends. Uh, and as a means of destroying wealth, short of a gambling addiction or having a life-threatening disease, uh, divorce is right up there. 
So it's a very bad financial decision to get married and then get divorced, uh, especially once you start doing this a few times. I mean, I always think about somebody like Larry King, who still thinks, by the way, that either he, he should be brought back out of retirement. You know, hey, I'm the only guy that can ask, answer the questions or ask the questions. He doesn't answer them. He asks them. Uh, he still thinks that he should make some kind of an appearance on the scene. You know, we, we just won't we just won't be able to get the answers we need without Larry King. I mean, I, these guys, that, that whole generation, I'll say, I mean, the, the explosion of mass media uh, for uh, and the, the timing of it for folks like Dan Rather and Larry King, I, some of you might disagree. With me. These guys are all really mediocrities who just were in the right place at the right time. I know that would be considered uh, within the media business, you know, sacrilege, but it's really not. They aren't particularly impressive. They just happen to be the guys and they were really in the right place at the right time. Uh, and there are many others. I mean, I'm not just picking on those two. There, there are a whole lot of them where you could say people would call them pioneers. And I would just want to say, well, you know, there's there's pioneers and then there's people that just happen to get lucky. Uh, you know, some people strike gold just when they think they're going to, you know, dig the hole for the outhouse. You know what I mean? So with divorce, what we see, oh, well, Larry King had seven marriages, why I brought him up. And I'm always, I always thought that must have been really rough to make those uh alimony payments although i don't know maybe he signed a lot of uh what do you, brandon what do you call them prenups thank you um he might have signed a lot of prenups I, I think once you get to wife number six you're probably like you know what i might have my lawyers take a look at this but this is a big social change this drop in in the divorce rate and and it, it all it, it there's some very good stuff about this and very not so good stuff about this. Uh, on the good stuff side, I would say, obviously, this means there are fewer people that are having the wealth the wealth destruction of divorce. And then also, yes, the, the pain of divorce for the people involved. And of course, when there are children and the families and, you know, I saw this. I didn't realize how damaging it was to some of my friends growing up. I had a, I had a good number of friends whose parents got divorced in in our um grammar school years you know and early in high school and it, it was ugly but I didn't realize the impact that it had on some of their psyches until later on I mean I have friends that are now in their their mid-30s and I can tell they're still kind of haunted by some of the stuff that happened in those divorces uh, but but we saw this stuff happen and and I think that now there's a much greater recognition of, of how long lasting those uh, those ill effects can be from a very na- from a very nasty divorce so that's for one. Uh, also, you have all these celebrities who are married, you know, Larry King, and there are many others married three, four, five times. You know, once you get to three and up, start to wonder, like, maybe, maybe don't go the whole marriage route. I don't know. I you don't know. Maybe I shouldn't judge, but it feels like three is a lot. It feels like three is probably, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a time to just date for a while and see how things go. I don't know, but that I've never been married. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't speak of what I know here. Uh, boomers, by the way, I, I don't want to, I don't want to bash any boomers because we have a lot of boomers who listen to this show. My parents are boomers. So the people I love most in the whole world are boomers. Um, but, uh, gray divorce is a phenomenon of the boomer generation as well, where people 55 to 64, uh, get divorced, and that doubled from the generation above them and the baby boomer generation. So not only do you have a lot of divorce among the boomers, you had a lot of, you know, divorce in 
basically pre-retirement uh, age among boomers, which is kind of interesting. But then you get to what I'm seeing going on with my peer group. And that is marriage as almost a luxury good. Now, let me explain. Uh, marriage for a lot of people is getting, it's later on and it's after education is finished. It's after people have really gotten established in their careers. This is where you get into your early 30s. In urban areas, getting married in your early 30s for guys is now standard. Uh, for for ladies, it's a little more like in the late 20s still, but for guys, mid-30s, all the way up into the late 30s. So believe it or not, yours truly, not as much of an odd duck. Buck is not as much of an odd duck as you might think. Uh, well, at least on this issue. But it's also now the case that uh, younger, less educated, poorer people who are having children are less and less likely to be married and older, more stable financially and more established people are the ones who are getting married and staying married. Uh, so, you know, there there's definitely the the clear upside here. Look, we don't want people getting, you know, you don't want people getting divorced. I think that marriage has gone through a, I think that the boomers basically took marriage to the brink of extinction in some ways. I mean, they, not extinction. Okay, fine. But they they made it something that people didn't take quite as seriously as any generation before that. Uh, and now it seems to be rebounding a bit with the millennials, but we've gone through a period here where no one really takes that till death to us part seriously the way they used to, you know, on the left for sure. Conservatives tend to be married and tend to stay married. A little different for us, but liberals view marriage as almost like leasing an apartment. It's really a, yes, there's some financial obligations, but it's, a somewhat temporary state of affairs. And I just wonder what the long-term implications are here. I mean, the fact that people are getting married later, staying married longer and in higher percentages is good, but that you have poorer and, you know, the, the less affluent, less educated folks aren't getting married at all, ever. Uh, that is a big destabilizing factor. And I think that's going to have some very long-term negative implications. So again, as somebody with no marriage expertise, those are my thoughts on marriage. Be sure to light me up in the Facebook comments, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Some of you may recall that I have a particular hatred for mosquitoes. I, I just, I think mosquitoes should not exist. They have killed more people than any other animal in the history of our species. We are really fighting a constant war against mosquitoes, both in terms of the spread of disease, right? Malaria and dengue and Zika and, you know, West Nile virus, all this different stuff you get from mosquitoes. Uh, malaria still kills huge numbers of people around the world every year. And and also just because they're annoying. I will never forget in New York City, in my tiny studio apartment, getting eaten alive when I was trying to go to sleep by a mosquito. And it uh, kept me up all night because when I try to fall asleep... And, and it would land on me right when I was, you know, about to sleep and it would start eating me and make my hands itch. And I managed to use my reading light like a flashlight and smack it against the wall and kill this thing. And it was one of the happiest moments that I could remember in recent memory at that time. It was really because it took me about three hours to get this guy. Anyway, I hate mosquitoes. And you're saying, Buck, why are you telling me this story? It's a dumb story. I know it's late in the show. I know you're probably you know, a little run down because you work like a maniac. Your show rising 
is incredible given that you have to deal with progressive and left-wing stuff all the time. How do you do it? Anyway, uh, I'm telling you about it because there's a news story here. And I've discussed with you in the past that if I had my way, uh, we would, in fact, uh, find a way to eliminate mosquitoes from the face of the earth. It turns out that there is a way to genetically modify mosquitoes. Good news, my friends, courtesy of NPR here. There is a gene editing tool known as CRISPR that can engineer mosquitoes with a gene drive, which transmits a sterilizing mutation And once they release these mosquitoes with this mutation into cages filled with unmodified mosquitoes, all the insects were wiped out. That's right. All of the insects. Um, This could be a way to use mosquitoes to kill all the other mosquitoes. And I think this is awesome. And I know people are going to say, oh, birds eat them and whatever. You know what? There's a lot of species out there. I am anti-mosquito. I think we should eradicate all of them. And now science, hashtag science, may make it possible. With all this, we've got Roll Call coming up. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. All right. You know what it is. It's Roll Call. That's because we got the cool intro to make it all happen. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of this party, Ray, first up in our session. Buck, do you recall when all the Dems left D.C. for recess, which allowed many judges, etc., to be appointed? Now I'm curious who showed up at their get-togethers Plotting this Kavanaugh debacle? Was the accuser there? Great shows. Well, Ray, I like that you're thinking outside the box, uh, but I, I can't say that I, I know um, much about what you're talking about. But thank you for writing in, and nice to hear from you. All right. Amy writes, here's the deal, Buck. I believe something happened to Blasey Ford, and she has likely convinced herself that some good can come from that awful experience if she can take out a conservative Supreme Court justice nominee. She knows it wasn't Kavanaugh, and she has no intention of testifying under oath. Her testimony was carefully crafted to be indefensible by the accused. This is why they omitted time, place, etc. Blasey Ford is at least intelligent enough to know that testifying under oath would be a very bad idea for her because something she would need to say would cause her to perjure herself. Her testimony obviously cannot stand up to any scrutiny or she would be doing the Stormy Daniels routine. And let's be honest about things. The DNC, after witnessing the success of the Me Too movement, decided that the political climate was ripe for these types of accusations. They are grooming potential accusers. Uh, And there we have it. Amy, thank you for writing in. Um, Yes, it's Me Too was destined to be weaponized. In fact, I was thinking yesterday a bit about how If somebody was to go back into the archives of this show, uh, they would find that I was worried about when this would go too far or be used for political purposes very early on. I mean, right around the time that the Weinstein allegations came out, I guess, a year ago, because it was inevitable. Once you have a political movement like this that has so much attention 
and that also drives corporate and therefore financial decision making. Remember, people are getting fired. Stock share uh, price has gone down because people like Les Moonves have gotten ousted or under investigation. So there have been real consequences for this movement uh, beyond just either justice for the victims and, well, justice for the accused in some of these cases, like Weinstein, where justice means he gets sent to prison. Uh, But yes, I knew that they would eventually reach a point where they weaponized it, and I think we are there. Um, All right, now we have uh, Peter who writes, Hey Buck, I appreciate your strong stand on the issue of abortion, Kavanaugh. I've seen it suggested online that in addition to being a professor, Blasey Ford also works or worked for the abortion drug maker uh, Concept Therapeutics, or Corcept Therapeutics. I saw a picture of a biography page that had her listed, probably from a conference. Uh, also, Debbie Ramirez, the other accuser, works for a liberal nonprofit, Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence. Pretty logical that politics, unlikely abortion, is a strong motivating factor in these accounts. P.S. Here is a picture of our awesome shelter dog, Shiba Inu Pug Mix, a perfect apartment dog. Your dog is very cute. It kind of looks like a German Shepherd. And a beagle had a baby. Uh, And as to your, yeah, what you're saying, Peter, obviously I agree. That uh, politics are a very heavy motivation here. Anyone who denies that is being disingenuous. It's too obvious. It's too clear. So there you have it. Uh, Now, let's, by the way, a, a shelter dog. Very, very cute. I'm pretty committed in my mind to getting an English bulldog. But I gotta wait a little bit until I figure out some things, some life things. Conversation for another time, team. Michael writes, Hi, Buck. Judge Kavanaugh needs a good PR person. Do you think he could get Hillary to help him with the bimbo eruptions? Uh, She has extensive experience in that field and might help him get a speedy confirmation. Shields high from Connecticut. Well, Michael, you know, the, the parallels here to what was, well, I shouldn't say parallels, but the comparison between the way Democrats are talking now about Kavanaugh on the flimsiest of possible allegations uh, versus the way that they referred to the very credible named on the record and serial allegations against Bill Clinton tells you all you really need to know. I mean, they are not, in fact, uh, honest brokers here and never have been. In fact, they have embraced the dark side. Uh, And I mean that. I don't mean that in a a funny Jedi sense. I mean that in a uh, they... The, the underlying reason for all of this is that they would have to wrestle at least some of the millions of people in this country who really believe that Planned Parenthood is some kind of force for good. Uh, they would have to wrestle with the absence of a federal decree from the government, the most powerful government in the world, that tells them that it is a constitutional right to have an abortion. Um, and they would then have to think, well, is this now the closest thing in this country's history to a legal regime where immorality was, in fact, enshrined in law, similar to the Dred Scott decision? That's what they don't want to deal with. Uh, and that's what because abortion would stay legal in states. But those states that had abortion would be on very different ground trying to uh, defend their practices. And if it's no longer a constitutional right, it would then be subject to whatever the state legislature decides at any given time. And those 
winds could shift rather rapidly. Whereas a constitutional decree, as long as you can hold, as long as you can hold the Supreme Court, um, you can keep that indefinitely. So that's why they're also very uh, upset about this, um, because they don't want the reckoning with their own consciences. Mark writes, Buck, has anyone been able to get Keith Ellison on record giving the party line that the accusers should be believed and that Kavanaugh should step down or not be confirmed due to these allegations? I think that as a candidate for state attorney general and someone who could have direct interaction with the Supreme Court, his view is directly relevant and would be quite telling. Shields high. Um, yeah, they're not going to get Keith Ellison on the record for that, Mark, because they don't want to talk about Keith Ellison because Keith Ellison is a credibly accused uh, domestic abuser, recent domestic abuser. And he's also uh, black, which means that they view him as a very important asset to the Democratic Party. Uh, they view him as somebody who is, a, you know, has a minority constituency that he speaks to. And and they won't I mean, they'll be very slow to throw him under the bus, so to speak. Uh, so there we have it. Uh, Jeff writes, I just wanted to mention that with all these crazy tweets that have been floating around, I'm actually very concerned that the left has become violently unhinged. It's like they've been changed at the molecular level. They cannot comprehend common sense or common decency. Just venting, I'm at a loss. Well, Jeff, you're not alone, my friend. I, I feel the same way. In fact, whenever I see one of these incidents like we were just subjected to, where you have somebody, uh, you know, along the lines of what just happened with Ted Cruz, who's trying to have dinner with his wife. I mean, there needs to be some basic human understanding that, you know, we should all be allowed to have a quiet dinner with our, with our significant other without people screaming in our face about politics who don't even know us. Um, and, and the fact that that is not universally condemned uh, just goes to show you what the other side has become uh, and, and what having a, a stranglehold on pop culture and most of the news media uh, and academia, it's allowed these people to create these existences where they just frankly can't confront and they can't deal with ideas that challenge their own ideas. They don't view it as an opportunity to learn. They view it as an attack on their very sense of self. And that's something that's quite different uh, between the left and the right these days. I'm fascinated by progressives who are really well-informed or really thoughtful on, a, on any issue. I, I almost always think they're unbelievably wrong, but I'm at least very interested in speaking to them. Progressives, however, are in general, and it's really a part of the ideology. It's not true of all of them, but it's true of most of them. It is, it is the exception to come across a progressive who does not feel this way. Progressives just want what they believe to be reflected back to them. They don't want anyone who challenges them. And they react ang with anger and with emotion to even rather uh, gentle intellectual challenges of whatever it is that they hold dear. So I think that's an important part of this to, to keep in mind. Um, here we go. One second here. Uh, Aries writes, Buck, you were talking about how you could feel Trump's patriotism after you interviewed him. I will suggest his early supporters saw it early on. I will also suggest other conservatives who were so alarmed by Trump's patriotism, they saw it as fascism, 
and had to oppose him to the point of risking Hillary getting elected aren't patriots at all. I'm not surprised by what the left is doing, and I think they're capable of much, much more, as you alluded to, uh, suggesting Brett Kavanaugh should need more security. I think everything from the deep state spying on Trump to the attempted destruction of Kavanaugh is a conspiracy. I find it way too convenient that Chuck Schumer, uh, that senator that seemed uh, to organize the protests of Kavanaugh, didn't have anything to do with the conspiracy to take down Trump, as he's the one who brought it up, saying Trump shouldn't mess with the intel agencies. The so-called leaders of the conservative movement, like Ben Shapiro, uh, who couldn't recognize Trump for the patriot he was because they couldn't recognize how evil our future enemy China is, with their crackdown on Christianity and the burning of crosses and churches, and also their pockets don't feel a little lighter, are not true American patriots um, and are poor excuses to be leaders in our movements. They are aiding and abetting agents of evil. Um, whoa, a lot a lot in there. Uh, let me take the notion of um, the deep state and conservative uh, conservatives who won't at this point see... Well, they're the conservatives that still don't see the benefits of Trump and the conservatives who early on uh, were adamantly opposed to Trump, right? Uh, and and I think that what you see are that there there are folks now who are so desperate to not be wrong because they think that they live in the life of the mind, and it would be it would really undermine their sense of self. I mean, this you know there, there are conservatives who suffer from similar maladies to the progressives, and one of them is this notion that the uh, that Trump can't be good or Trump can't be better than they thought because that would mean that some conservatives were really, really wrong. I will say this, though. If you're a conservative who is currently um, who is currently out there, and by the way, I, I do not. He mentioned Ben Shapiro in there. I, I, I like and respect Ben. I, I've got nothing critical to say about him uh, on, on this matter. I think he's very fair-minded when it comes to Trump. Um, but as to, you know, what, what goes on now, I mean, anyone who's out there, at, and there are people, there are some prominent conservatives, uh, advocating for voting for Democrats in the midterms. Um, so that, to me, is being a Democrat. That, to me, is is taking your concerns with Trump way too far. Um, so, you know, that... And you see this with Bill Kristol, by the way, with Evan McMullen, who was a stealth Democrat, run on, a, on an ostensibly Republican ticket. He's a Democrat. He's not a Republican. Because he's now talking about the greatness of Beto O'Rourke. If you think Beto O'Rourke is great, Robert O'Rourke, if you think he's great, you're a Democrat. I mean, that's you're allowed to think that, but don't lie about what you are. And Bill Kristol tried to put that guy forward, and I had him on this show, and I, to this day, regret not, well, diving deeper, I guess, but I couldn't tell the future, so he sounded conservative. He was very anti-Trump. Uh, but it turns out it was all really a dodge. I mean, it was all a ruse, uh, a hustle. So that's something that, that really bothers me. I hate, I hate dishonesty about what people are and what they stand for. Team, that's going to be it for today. Thank you so much for being here in the hut. We are going to have a crazy week in the news cycle. So uh, be sure to check in here each, each night uh, or whenever you listen. And remember on Apple podcasts, you can always listen on demand and the podcast goes up usually around 7 p.m. now each day. So you should be able to listen in early if you get a chance. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.